All right, now you can hear me. I knew eventually I'd do that, uh, as old as I am, but let's, let's start that over. If, if, if you were to write a letter from prison, what would it be? Would you use words like joy, rejoicing, thanksgiving? Uh, that's what we see in the book of Philippians. Some, some have called this the epistle of joy. And so we're going to begin a, a series in this great epistle. And so we turn to Philippians chapter 1, the joy of fellowship. We're going to read verses 1 through 11 of Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment And in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. This I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, these are words that you have given by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, that you would apply them to our lives today. Teach us what it means to have that joy of, of fellowship in the body of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. In 1765, John Fawcett was called to be a pastor of a very small church in Waynesgate, England. He labored there diligently for seven years, but his salary was so small that they hardly had enough to live on. The people were very friendly. They were warm. They showed faithfulness in many ways. But then Dr. Fawcett received a call from a very large congregation in London. And after considering that call for a long time, he decided to pack up and and move. So they placed all of their goods in a wagon, and many of the parishioners came to say goodbye to him. And once again, they pleaded with him as they had done before, oh, if you would only stay. Please stay and be our pastor. And he and his wife were so touched by their love, they began to weep. And finally, Mrs. Fawcett said, oh, John, I can't bear this. We cannot leave. And he said, God has spoken to my heart too. Tell them to unload the wagon. We cannot break these wonderful ties of fellowship. He wrote a song based on that experience. 
a song that we've sung as a congregation, a song that's been sung over those 250 plus years. Some of you might guess what it is. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. That song was written based on that experience where that man and his wife experienced such a sweet fellowship. They could not leave that tie that bound them together. If Jesus is your Savior, you know that there is something special about the fellowship of believers. We pray for one another. We share with one another. We worship with one another. We serve with one another. And if for some reason we are separated from one another, we miss our fellow believers, don't we? If you're gone on vacation for a week or so, maybe gone for an extended period of time, don't you miss the people that you worship with? Don't you long to be gathered together with those you love and those you care about? There's something about that tie that binds us. The Apostle Paul knew what that was about because he had a special bond with the Philippian congregation. And he describes in our text then why fellow believers cause us to rejoice. Notice, first of all, we, re- we rejoice because fellow believers are a gift from God. Do you view your fellow believers as a gift from God to you? Do you see that? Do you embrace that truth? It's obvious that Paul was grateful for his many fellow believers because in almost every letter that he writes in the New Testament, he begins with thanksgiving. If you were here last Wednesday night for our Lenten service, you know that the book of Galatians doesn't begin that way. And Paul immediately addresses some of the major concerns that was going on among those churches. But basically all the other letters he writes, he begins with thanksgiving. And what's interesting to notice about these letters is that the thankfulness is not necessarily addressed to the people, but it's addressed to God. Notice verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. If you read in Acts chapter 16, you will find out how that church started in the city of Philippi. And Paul saw these people as God's gracious gift to them. It's obvious because if you read through that chapter, you will notice that this was God's doing in establishing that congregation. It is so clear, so obvious. It was God who led Paul to the city of Philippi when he was trying to go to other places. Look at Acts 16, verse 6. It says, They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, That's where they were headed somewhere, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So they were headed one direction and God closed the door. Verse 7, and after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And then Paul had this vision. There was this man in Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And Luke, as he writes about this, says, When he had seen the vision, 
Immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And guess what was the first city they went to? Well, you can guess. It was the city of Philippi. The church in Philippi would have never been established if it weren't for God's leading. Paul was led by God there. And it was God who opened the heart of Lydia, the first convert in Philippi. Verse 13 of Acts 16 says, On the Sabbath day we went outside the city to a riverside where we were supposing that there was a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had assembled. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God was listening. And then Luke says, And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. It was God who saved the Philippian jailer. Remember that? Paul and Silas were beaten and and put in jail and they started singing hymns at midnight and there was an earthquake and the jailer was ready to kill himself and Paul says, don't do that, we're all here. And he said, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. And so every person who became a part of that congregation in Philippi was there for one reason. God had put them there. God was involved in the establishing of this congregation. They were a special gift to Paul as well as to one another. That's why he thanks God for them. Let me ask you a question. Do you realize that God has placed people in our church and in your life as a gracious expression of his goodness to you? Look around. Look at the people that are gathered here today. Are you not thankful for them? Can you not say, God, you are good to bring into my life and into our congregation people with whom we can worship together and fellowship together? Like Paul, you ought to thank God for them. You know why? Because you need them. They need you. You need them and they need you. Because we are in this together. It's not just Jesus and me. It's Jesus and we. Right? And I hope you don't think the Christian life is just about you and Jesus. That you can survive outside of the fellowship. Don't go that way. We need one another. God's gracious gift. To one another. And that's why Paul said, I thank my God in every remembrance of you. Every time I think about you, I thank God for you. May that be true of us, that any time we think about our congregation and the fellowship we have, that we would say, God, I thank you. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of this fellowship, be a part of the family of God. I read about a visitor who was being shown a leper colony in the country of India. And at noon the bell rang and the midday meal started and people came from all over the place to that dining hall. And all at once there were peals of laughter that filled the air. There were two men, one riding on the other person's back, pretending to be a horse and a rider, having all 
kinds of fun. And as the visitor watched, he was told that the man who carried his friend was blind and the man being carried was lame. The one who couldn't see used his feet and the one who couldn't walk used his eyes. They found great joy in knowing each other because they saw each other as a gift of God. (laughs) Serving together. You see people in your church as a gift of God. That's what they are. That ought to bring us joy. We rejoice because fellow believers are a gift from God. Notice, secondly, we rejoice because fellow believers are partners in the gospel. We are together in that ministry of proclaiming the gospel. Now, Paul was a man who was wonderfully gifted, a man who was totally committed to God, but he was not a lone ranger. I don't know what kind of picture you get of Paul, that he was so strong and so committed and so firm that he didn't need anybody else. Well, you read his epistles and you discover he was not a lone ranger. I think of the book of Romans, how he lists name after name after name after name of people in that congregation. Here was a man who understood that we are in this together. We are partners. This is a team effort. He was not a lone ranger. And notice how that brought joy to him, great joy. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy. In my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Notice how he describes their, this team effort. He, he says it was a consistent partnership from the first day until now. Paul is saying, once you joined the team, once you came to the Lord, once you became part of the fellowship, the family of God, you were consistent. You were committed from the first day until now. And what's interesting is that Paul couldn't say this about every church that God used him to establish. In fact, of all the churches that he helped to start, the one church... The one in Philippi was the only one that consistently partnered with him. Look at chapter 4. Jump ahead to chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Paul says, You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. You alone, he says. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my need. It's no wonder he thanked God for this congregation. He says, you were committed from the first day until now. You were there. We were partners in this ministry. And it was also a very practical partnership. In other words, their partnership with Paul went beyond a warm, fuzzy feeling Oh, it was much more than that. It was seen in very practical expressions of kindness in action. You go back to Acts 16 and you see some of those examples. After Lydia was saved, 
She opened up her home for Paul and his missionary team. Acts 16.15, it says, And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And then Luke adds this last phrase. He says, And she prevailed upon us. It's kind of like Paul said, well, no, we don't want to be a bother to you. It's just like, I am not going to take no for an answer coming and staying in my house. huh? That shows a practical commitment of kindness. They were traveling missionaries, right? They needed a place to stay. She said, you're staying with me, okay? So just let's just settle that, right? And so she helped it that way. How about the Philippian jailer? When he was saved, he washed. Paul and Silas's wounds, and he invited them into his home and he, he fed them. I think of Epaphroditus was sent to Paul, chapter 2, verse 25. Paul says, But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow servant, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. So while Paul was in prison, they sent Epaphroditus there. Just to minister to him. Just to encourage him. And along with Epaphroditus, the church sent gifts to him. Ways to say, we stand with you. We are in this with you. We are your partner. We are taking a special offering today for our missionaries in the Ukraine who have had to leave. Miriam and Tomash. What is that gift saying? It is telling them in a very tangible way, we are with you. It's one thing to say we're praying for you, and we ought to pray for them. But there's something about a tangible expression of kindness that's partnering together in the gospel. That's the kind of fellowship that Paul had with this congregation. A fellowship that was very practical. And a fellowship that made a great impact on him. Look at verses 7 and 8. He says, It is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness. How I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Notice all the verses that speak of with you and partnership and we're in this together. It just oozes with that truth, doesn't it? Practical expressions consistently with Him in His ministry. I hope you understand that biblical fellowship is more than eating cookies Drinking coffee in the fellowship hall. Okay? Now, we don't have a place we call the fellowship hall, but maybe you've been in churches where you've got this place where in between services or after services or whatever, you gather in the fellowship hall. Okay? And you eat sweets and drink coffee, right? Now, that's part of fellowship, right? I mean, the, the, the yearly church ate their meals together and so forth, and that's certainly part of it. But if that's all that it is, then we've missed what real biblical fellowship is. It is sharing together in the ministry, right? 
It's being involved in the work of God's kingdom. It is partnering together to bring the gospel to others. Kent Hughes says, If you are looking for true fellowship, give yourself to the gospel at home and around the world. Serve together with others in women's Bible studies, children's ministries, youth ministries. Do short-term missions. Take the good news to the poor. Join a band of brothers and sisters to pray for the world. That is how you will experience genuine Christian fellowship. Here's the question. Are you involved in some kind of ministry? So that the gospel of Jesus is proclaimed. Are you involved in some kind of ministry where people are being discipled and and strengthened and encouraged? My dad used to say, if you're not, you're just a spiritual sponge. And you get waterlogged. He says you ought to take the word in, but then you've got to wring the sponge out and then... Take it in again. There needs to be that, that involvement in some way. Partnering together in the Gospel. We rejoice because fellow believers are partners. I rejoice and as I think of our congregation and think of the various ways in which people are involved. I don't know, some churches they say where 20% do 80% of the work. That's not the case here. There's a lot of people involved. And various ministries within our congregation. And if you're not, I encourage you. Become a partner, right? We're in this together. All right. Thirdly, we rejoice because fellow believers are the workmanship of God. The workmanship of God. Now, Paul was the one who shared the gospel in Philippi. But you know what? God was the one who did the work of saving them and changing them and transforming their lives. They were His workmanship. Look at verse 6. Paul says, For I am confident of this very thing, that He, which is God, of course, He who began a good work in you will do what? He will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, what God starts, He finishes, right? Now, we might be the vessel. We might be the one who shares. But but the work is God's work. He who began a good work will complete that work. And so Paul understood that the success of the church didn't depend on him. He knew what Jesus said. I will Build my church. Now we can be a part of that, but He is the one who is building His church. We are His workmanship. And what's interesting is is that God was continuing to do that work in Philippi even though Paul was no longer there. God did not abandon them when Paul moved on to another place. God was still working there. And that was a liberating truth for the Apostle Paul. And it is a liberating truth for me as a pastor. Because I know it doesn't depend on me. 
This congregation will survive without me someday. It's God's work. And what He starts, He indeed will finish. I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The, 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 the church in Corinth had some little divisions there where they had their favorite pastor or apostle. Some were saying, I'm of Paul. Others were saying, well, I'm of Apollos. Others were saying, well, I'm of Peter. I'm, I'm in that group. And then the spiritual one said, well, I'm of Jesus. Okay. So in all these different groups, divisions within the congregation, and Paul had to address that. And so in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 4, he says, For when one says, I am of a Paul, and another says, I am of Apollos, he says, Are you not mere men? Aren't you just acting like mere men? And he says, What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? He answers that question by saying, Servants through whom you believe, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each. Then he says, I planted the seed Apollos watered it, but he said, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. Each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. You know what that means? It means this, that anything of spiritual or eternal value that is accomplished in our congregation, it's God's doing. It's God's doing. We are His field. We are His building. God is planting that seed. God is building up the body of Christ. It's His doing. We are His workmanship. So that which started in Philippi and that which God was going to finish in Philippi was God's doing and therefore for God's glory. Notice how this section ends as Paul prays for this church. Verse 9. This I pray, he said, that your love may abound still more and more. In other words, it was there, but he's saying, I'm praying that it'll bound even more so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of Paul. Oh, no, to the glory and praise of All that we do, every ministry we're involved in, every opportunity that lies before us, we serve for the glory of God. And if we don't serve for the glory of God, we don't understand what it means to be a part of the body where He is the head. We are the members of that body. The God, He, the glory, Great things we have done? Oh, no. To God be the glory, great things He has done. Now, when you consider all that Paul says about this congregation, this Philippian church, would we not want our church to be like that 
that congregation, that body of believers, a God-given love for each other that was growing, a congregation that understood what that partnership is all about in proclaiming Jesus to a world that needs to hear Him. J. Kirk Johnston tells about a young Russian woman. This took place before the collapse of the Soviet Union. We're hearing much about that now, aren't we? And she went to Canada to visit some relatives. And they assumed that she was probably going to stay there, seek asylum because of the persecution that they were experiencing that, at that time in the Soviet Union. But she didn't want to stay there. She wanted to go back home. And she said this. She said that people in the West are too busy acquiring material things and not concerned enough about their relationships. She said in her homeland, Christian fellowship was essential to their faith because it provided the support and the encouragement they so desperately needed. They needed each other, right? They were suffering, they were persecuted, and they found that joy of, of fellowship and partnership and, and communion together as fellow believers in the body of Christ. They knew they needed each other. The problem in our country today is some people don't know that they need each other. They, they're like lone rangers. They think they can survive without being involved in the fellowship. You don't have to live in a communist country to be in need of fellowship. Every one of us needs that partnership, that fellowship that is found in the body of Christ. Let me just read to you the words of that hymn that John Fawcett wrote. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Before our Father's throne we pour our ardent prayers. Our fears, our hopes, our aims are one. Our comforts and our cares. We share each other's woes. Our mutual burdens bear. And often for each other flows the sympathizing tear. When we asunder part, it gives us inward pain, but we shall still be joined in heart and hope to meet again. Did you notice that there's not one time it says I, me, or my? It's all we or are. That's the way we need to think. It's not I, me, my, you. It's us. It's we. We are in this together. And when we understand that, that that's the kind of fellowship that God produces. When we experience that, we will know what true joy is all about. Partnership in the gospel. Fellowship together. That's where true joy is found. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us. Help us as a congregation to understand what true fellowship is. We are not lone rangers. We are in this together and we need to live like that. We are partners in the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for the people that you bring together to be a part of a congregation. Help us to see them as gifts from your hand. 
As we vote on new members today, Father, thank you for those that you have brought to our congregation. May we be one in heart and mind and soul and spirit and purpose. We might experience true joy, the joy of fellowship. In Jesus' name we pray.